everyone and welcome to the latest in our series of podcasts on the bulk annuity market. I'm delighted today to be joined by Simon Bramwell, who is a partner and head of longevity risk transactions at Barnett Waddingham, and also by Matt Wilmington, who is head of origination for bulk annuities at Scottish Widows. Thanks very much to both of you for joining us today. Today we will be talking about what schemes need to do to prepare to approach the insurance market, why those preparations are important from the insurer's perspective, and also what practical challenges this can pose sometimes for trustees. So, so to kick off, Matt, there are often times when the market is very busy and insurers are therefore having to decide where best to deploy their resources. And so in that situation, how can schemes make sure that they're attractive to insurers in that crowded market? Yeah, hi, hi Rachel and hi everyone. Um, so it's, it's, it's a good question and probably worth thinking about in, in two or three different different ways. One of the things that you, you talked about was deploying our resources and it's worth thinking a little bit about what we're talking about when we're talking about resources. And they really come into to two categories. One is the physical pricing people that we have to uh, have to turn around our, our quotations all of the very clever actuaries who take the benefits and data and assumptions and turn those into uh, bulk annuity premiums uh, but we also need to think about the resources that we deploy to support the bulk annuity liabilities that we take on particularly the assets that we use to back those liabilities and the capital that we use to support the security that the insurance regime brings and as you say, in a very busy market, we don't have infinite supplies of either. So we have to be very careful about how we deploy those and think quite hard about our triage process whenever we see new schemes come in. So we tend to ask ourselves two big questions when we see a brand new scheme. We ask ourselves, can we win it? Um, and that's a lot about, does the liability profile match the asset profile that we've got? Um, under our capital reserving regulations, the better match your assets to your liabilities, the more beneficial the discounting is and the better price that we're able to put forward to, uh, to pension schemes. Do we have the volume and shape of assets available to, to back that particular block of liabilities? So a pensioner-only pensioner transaction will look different from a transaction that's got pensions and deferreds in it in terms of the shapes of the, uh, of the cash flow. Um, and then we think about the overall status of the market. What might our competitors have won or not won recently? What have we won or not won recently? And how might that fit in? How competitive do we think that process might be? It's fair to say that, um, that the consultants and the trustees don't have a lot of control over some of those factors. Um, so a lot of that is more down to luck than, uh, than it is down to judgment. Uh, but the second question that we ask ourselves, it's very important that people get themselves um, in a good position to come to market first. We ask ourselves, do we believe it will actually happen? Um, and less so now, but in the early days of the market, we did see a lot of transactions seek quotations that didn't really have any intention to proceed or the governance wasn't very well lined up. We've got much, much better at that these days. And we really look for two things. Um, we look to see if governance is, is well set up. So that means our trustees and sponsors both aligned in terms of wanting to do a transaction and secure those liabilities. Um, and second, we look to see if clear price expectations being set. 
Simon and, and Simon's colleagues will have a good idea about where the market is pricing generally. If a scheme's coming to market and looking to transact at or about that level, that's something that we look for and we think is very sensible. It's obviously more difficult for us to transact if a scheme has a very, very ambitious price target at a time when we're when we're not able to uh, when we're not able to meet that. So really it's around those two things that we look at in a lot of detail before deciding whether or not um, a scheme is one that we, we are going to be able to provide a quotation for. Thanks, Matt. That's that's really interesting to hear um, how the how the insurers look at that. Simon, turning to you, what are the practical challenges from a scheme's perspective? So if pricing moves favourably and maybe a scheme is able then to afford to do a transaction a lot quicker than it might have anticipated, what can they do to really quickly take advantage of those market conditions? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very relevant question. It's a good question. I guess in terms of a bit of background, in terms of what we see from, from clients, we're seeing schemes that are far better funded than they were anticipating to be, which obviously is clearly good news. We've seen investment strategies doing what they should do. I mean, kind of bringing up funding levels. We've seen liabilities fall from kind of slowdown in mortality improvements. And we've actually seen you know, bulk annuity pricing and you know all the, all the kind of mechanics behind that has certainly has improved. So on all corners, we've seen sort of beneficial factors that mean schemes now who probably thought they were you know, five plus years out are suddenly picking up the phone to us and saying, uh, hold on, we're, we're in a really good position. Let's go and buy out. Now, of course, it's, it's not as simple as that. And if the segments of schemes that I've seen doing that, multiply that across the industry, you've suddenly got an awful lot of demand all of a sudden of schemes looking to kind of to buy out. So there's that's clearly positive. But how do you, you know, how quickly can you act really depends on a lot of factors. And and actually, it's not just is your data OK? Are your benefits, you know, well defined? You know, have you got all the legal and governance stuff sorted that, that sort of Matt just touched on there? But actually, there's lots of other strategic decisions that were probably, you know, a problem for three, four five years down the line that has suddenly accelerated to today. So, um, for instance, you might have some active members that, you know, you thought, OK, we'll sort that out pre buyout. Well, if they're still there today, you need to think about how you're going to sort that out, even if buyout is affordable. Another problem that's cropped up, and Rachel, interested in in your views on this in a bit, trap surplus, or in fact that schemes might actually have more money than they're expecting. What do you do with that? And the trustee and corporate kind of decisions around that. But I guess taking a step back, as you say, approaching the market and the timing for the market, when do you go? Well, as consultants, what we try and do is get you the best possible place so that Matt's triaging process is simple and gets the best result for the scheme and then the best chance of you getting the best price and then wanting to work on your transaction. So I might kind of fit this to a, a bit of a tenuous analogy. It's a little bit like putting your house on the market. You want the best price for your house. You'll probably make sure that it looks nice. You know, you've thought about how you're going to present it. It's not dissimilar from data and benefits. If data and benefits are messy, you're not going to get the best engagement for the market. You're not going to get the best price. It's not going to be the most positive process for you. So, and similarly, if you know that there's a bit of, I don't know, work that needs doing on your house, you might get it done in advance so that actually 
it just knock down the price that people are trying to ask for your house. So a tenuous analogy, but it's getting your scheme into shape such that you get the best price. And just touching on the market conditions bit, it's very difficult to time the market. Now, there was a lot of noise a couple of years ago about the fact that March 2020, we suddenly saw very, not not fleeting, but a, a small window of very good pricing on the bulk community market. And there were schemes like, well, can we take advantage of that? Unfortunately, it's not quite as simple as that. It, you can't just lock into that. You need to have done an awful lot of work to get to that point to be able to you know, access that pricing in a busy market with the insurers. So there's certainly a lot of steps. I'm sure we'll probably discuss a few bits more during the rest of this podcast, but um, hopefully that gives a, a little bit of a background there. I guess, Rachel, interested on, I've touched on a few points, interested in terms of some of the potential legal challenges, maybe, of, of, of trying to get a transaction done quickly and lock into these kind of favourable conditions. Yes, thanks, Simon. I mean, I'll start off with with one of the points that you you talked about, which is around funding. So, so um, I mean, we're talking about schemes that are in a really good place here, funding wise, and can get on with the transaction. But you know, you, there there may be a little bit that you still need, and so it's going to be really important to make sure that the employer is on board with what you want to do. If you want to go to go to buy out um, and not just hold it as a long term buy in which if you're insuring all of the liabilities under your scheme, you would, we would expect you to want to do, then you need to make sure that you're clear on how you get there under your scheme rules. So who has the power to trigger the winding up of the scheme? Generally, that's going to be, at least involve the employer um, agreeing to do that. So you need to, again, make sure the employer is on board with that. Then if you are in the lucky position of having a surplus in your scheme, you then need to consider what's actually going to happen to that surplus. And again, you need to look there to your scheme rules. So who has the right ultimately to those surplus funds in the scheme? Are the trustees obliged to use them to augment people's benefits? And if that's the case, um, is the insurer happy happy with that? Do you have a mechanism under your, um, under your BPA to be able to do that? Or is is the surplus, um, does the surplus have to be returned to the employer? Or is there an element of discretion? And if so, is this a joint discretion between the employer and the trustees? Or is it just the trustee discretion? And that's likely to lead to some negotiation between the parties. So you need to make sure that you're clear on what's going to happen with, with the funding side of things. Then aside from that, as Simon and Matt, you, you both mentioned, there's a process of making sure, of course, that you know what it is you're asking the insurer to insure. If you haven't done a full audit in the sort of recent past on your scheme, then you will you will need to look quite carefully at the scheme rules and compare that with admin practice, particularly where the scheme has had a long history it's not uncommon at all to find that there are some small differences between the strict position under the scheme rules and the admin practice. And those will need to be resolved and potentially there may be um, points that need to be rectified on people's benefits before you can sort of press the button and, and move to buy out eventually. You'll also need to look at what discretionary benefits you've got onto your scheme. So who, who has the power to 
decide each of those discretions and how are you going to codify those because an insurer generally isn't going to take on um, discretionary benefits. And then finally, you need to think about how you're going to communicate the transaction to your members. You have you have members who have been scheme members for many years potentially and are comfortable with the with the pension scheme and with the company that is backing that pension scheme up. And there's a little bit of, um, of education to be done there about what the transaction is that they're, that you're going to be doing. Members are unlikely to be familiar with the concept of a buyout and explaining to them what due diligence the pension scheme trustees have done to make themselves comfortable that they are handing over responsibility for people's benefits to the, their chosen insurer. So there is a lot to think about. And if schemes are thinking that they are on a journey to buy out over the next few years, then often they will start the process and we would, we would expect them to start the process of looking at the scheme rules, coming up with a benefit spec, looking at codification of discretions, etc., planning what to do with any potential surplus. We would expect them to start that before they, well before they are ready to go to, to the market. So Matt, ideally, obviously, schemes would have everything lined up before they come to you for a quote. But what, from your perspective, are the absolute must-haves at the outset? And are there some things that could be dealt with fairly easily through a pricing adjustment, for example, later on in the bidding process? Yeah, that's a, that's a very important thing to, to think about, Rachel, particularly in the I guess in the context of what Simon was talking around about sort of timing of coming to market, making sure you're ready and, and putting a plan in place. And some of, some of the factors that are more difficult and some of the factors that are easier for us to deal with, they're not necessarily obvious at outset. So I would encourage schemes and consultants as part of that planning process to have conversations with insurers to, to try to understand some of those factors. I think that just sort of answering your example with um, uh, with a couple of examples. There are some things that schemes might do which fundamentally adjust the way that we view the benefits. So either that will be around our assumptions around projecting the benefits or what the benefits actually are. So it may be that the scheme is still gathering some mortality or some marital data. It may be that the schemes doing a liability management project. I'll try and avoid the whole podcast topic itself of GMP equalisation, but that's obviously something that's, that's important to, to think about now. All of those different things will fundamentally affect our view of what the benefits look like over the future. Those things then effectively, if they change, they mean we have to go back to square one to start our whole pricing process um, again. So they make it quite difficult. So I would very much encourage schemes where there's no real urgency to come to market. And, and I think that's the case for 99% for of the schemes that come to do all of those things ahead of, of coming approaching insurers. And that will make schemes much more attractive to us if, um, if all of those assumptions and all of that data and, um, uh, and benefits are, um, are set in stone. There are other things that schemes can do to, to positively impact the price that they'll get or the, um, or the attractiveness to, to insurers. And we talk a lot about sort of the assets that schemes might invest in and how they might think about transferring those over to us. And again, that's, that's probably a whole podcast topic in itself. But it is, it is worth noting that actually the payment portfolio that a scheme will use to, um, to pay the bulk annuity premium, that's something we could think about quite late on in the process. 
Uh, so we think about that in terms of, well, actually, what are our um, acquisition expenses for new assets? Do, do the assets that the scheme has, are they assets that, that we would want? Um, and if so, we don't need to charge those acquisition expenses or we may be able to, uh, we may be able to adjust our assumptions ever so slightly to give a better price. But those are kind of add-ons at the end. And, and actually, that, that isn't decided before the scheme comes to market doesn't really give us, give us much trouble. So I would very much reiterate, well worth having a conversation with insurers as you're starting that planning process to understand for your scheme, specifically what are the factors that are important now and, uh, and which, can, uh, which can wait a little bit later. That's obviously my perspective from an insurer, but Simon, good to get your thoughts from a, from a consultant perspective as well in terms of, I guess, what you see from other insurers and, and how you're managing the conversations with schemes. Yeah, yeah no, certainly. And actually just picking up your point on on assets and investments, not just in terms of, I guess, from a planning perspective, not just in terms of, you know, that payment, uh, optimising, say, the payment process, but it's also, okay, you might be ready to add data benefits, etc. If you've got illiquids or if you've got, you know, assets that are difficult to manage or have, you know, a, a process to get into, to turn into cash, the knowing that up front, knowing the costs involved, knowing you know how that's all going to work, and being open and you know clear with with um, the insurers how that's going to happen, it you know it clearly has to be high priority. I guess Matt, the message we get from from you and all your other kind of peers in the in the market is that the kind of key things you're looking for is clarity uh, around you know that preparation process where there is stuff that's still being done you want to know why how when when's this all going to happen how does it fit in to this kind of pricing and transaction process for instance you might have done you picked up marital status information for instance and typically yes you might have done it prior to bringing your data to market but actually you might have decided to do it later on in the process but it's helpful for you to know when and how that's going to be happened, how's it been run, etc. And as you say, it's not just impacting the price in pound amount that you're going to charge, but it also will potentially influence the kind of actuarial sort of mechanics behind it about how you're going to set your basis. So, and I'll, I'll pick up on GMP equalization briefly, just because it's a common topic that trustees will ask us, do we have to get it sorted before we do a bulk annuity? Because in their minds, it's a complex, knotty issue. But actually, when you get to the nuts and bolts of it, when you get through the legal and actual advice, it's not hugely material from, from the insurer's perspective. And actually, you can true that up kind of post buy-in. So having not done GMP equalization exercise isn't the end of the world. And it certainly isn't a, doesn't prohibit doing a buy-in. But what we hear insurers would like to know is that actually you've done the thinking the legal and actuarial thinking around how the GMP equalization process will be done post buy-in so you know that governance the thinking the planning has all been done and and I think you can extend that theory to any sort of exercise or any sort of process or data exercise that might be going on within the scheme other bits and pieces also, you know, if you're planning a member options exercise or liability management exercise, as you called it, you know, being clear as to why, when, who's involved, what are the implications, all that sort of stuff uh, is something we try and 
you know emphasize with any of our clients is really important matt might just maybe throw you one small question what frustrates you during this process and you know what would you like to see less of um from maybe consultants like like myself yeah, and I mean, you, 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 you've hinted at it already, Simon. It's surprises. What, what, what we don't like are, are surprises. Um, I mean, actually, I, I guess traditionally, actually, don't like surprises anyway. But, but, but anything, anything that you're not clear about up front that comes late in the process. Oh, by the way, we're doing a pension increase exchange exercise, but we didn't tell you about it when you started. Well, basically, we have to rip the whole thing up and, and start again. Um, so she said, just just avoiding those surprises through the clarity of, of the process that you're going through, not just from the buy-in perspective or the buyout perspective, but all of the other things that are, that are going on in the scheme is um, is really, really important. Uh, again, I sort of emphasise that to the extent that you can, getting everything done before you come to market is likely to mean that your, your scheme is going to be much more attractive. We appreciate that that's not always possible for, for, for some reasons. But to the extent that, that those things aren't possible, being clear about what's happening, who's going to be involved, what the timelines are, it avoids those surprises and, and mitigates uh, and mitigates a lot of that pain to an extent. Well, I think we've probably got to wrap up there. Thanks to both of you. That's been a really interesting and um, informative discussion. I think really useful for our listeners to get the perspective, both from the consultant's point of view and also, importantly, from, from Matt's and um, the insurer's point of view. So thanks very much and um, see you all next time.